Watcher Council. I am your Watcher Kinsey. I'm Watcher Donna. I'm Watcher Jack. Watcher Adrian. Welcome to uh, Once More with Feeling, the 20th anniversary fan cast of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. We just watched the first 60, 90 minutes? Yeah. 99 minutes. minutes of Buffy. Yeah. That was episodes Welcome to the Hellmouth and The Harvest. Real briefly, what happens in these episodes, we introduce a lot of characters. We introduce Darla, who remains super important throughout the series all the way into Angel. Uh, we introduced, of course, the main cast, the master, Angel, Cordelia. So essentially what's happening in these two episodes is we introduce the idea of the harvest, which is going to release the master into the world, except that Buffy arrives in town. She meets our main cast. She meets her watcher. She does not want to be the slayer anymore. This is a theme that continues throughout Buffy is that she just wants to be a normal girl. But eventually she gets on board and she goes to the bronze and prevents the harvest and all is right with the world until the next episode. Spoiler alert. <laughs> so that is essentially what happens in these in this premiere episode, which was two episodes. So we had a lot of thoughts and a lot of conversation. Uh, Jack, what did what did you think? Of both episodes? Yes. I love them. I uh, this the the dialogue is I think one of the strongest things in this show. Like it was still very much vivid and alive to me. Specifically the dialogue between the main characters, because I'm gonna say the villain dialogue is very like nineties <laughs> I am truly evil. It very much was. It very much was. Uh, yeah, and it was so nineties. Everything was so nineties. <laughs> Even the music. Even the music. Well, I mean, especially the music, but I think that's the thing that's gonna stand out as being the most nineties. Well, I thought the most nineties was the clothing. And the references, the pop culture references were very 90s. Absolutely, they were. Double it's a arch. perfect capture of a moment in time in the 90s. You want to see the 90s? This is yeah, yeah. this is it. Uh, so, cool, quick question. Does anyone know what DeBarge is? Who DeBarge is? DeBarge is a fan. I assumed everybody yeah. knew except for me. I, yes. I, I think I mostly laugh because it's DeBarge is also mentioned in Ghostbusters. Okay. Because yeah, he's... Yeah. Um, because wasn't he in Electric Two Elect or Breaking Two Electric Boogaloo? Like, wasn't he the main guy in it? And I mean, he's got songs from the eighties, so yeah, yeah. As we watched, I felt like every single face that came on screen. My first thought was, "Oh my God, look how young they are." <laughs> <laughs> um, Sarah Michelle Gellar, especially, she's she's got baby fat in yeah. her in her round little cheeks. It's so cute. But even Giles, I was looking at him going, oh, I thought he was old. I just always see him how he is now, yeah. like how he was in season seven. I'm like, that's that's a good looking man. Well, Allison Hannigan. Oh, yeah, he's hot. But Allison Hannigan, she looks like she's in high school. Like, I mm. forgot how young she looks. And I think uh, she's like right around my age, maybe a little bit older. Mm. But she looks like she's in high school. Yeah, she, well, like, the the only person whose age I questioned was Darla. To me, Darla was the only one where I was like, am I supposed to believe that she's a high school student right now? Because she didn't really look it. Everybody else managed to do okay. She matured early. She's an early bloomer. She, she, was, she was a prostitute in the Virginia colony. Okay, actually, I have something to, to I, I have a question about Darla that you've just segued into nicely, and that is, I wonder how much Darla is Darla at this point, how much they had decided about her, 
how, like, if they had a backstory for her or if they knew how important she was going to be later. Because there were a lot of moments where I was like, this seems a little strange for Darla as I know her to be Sure. She clearly had a worshipful relationship with the Master. They had no intention of her being that important. Like, I remember this because I remember this being a thing. Uh, They, um... They, they didn't think that she was going to be that important, um, and they planned uh, initially to kill off one of their empires at the beginning, and they were not sure whether it was going to be her, but then they finally decided on her. And uh, it was only in Angel when they finally said, hey, let's bring Darla back for the season one finale. Hmm. Hmm. All right. Because like the way that she was sort of uh, skittish, the skittishness of her was what really got me. Mm-hmm. The skittishness and like I guess the, the 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 want to please the master made sense because the master's the one who turned her, right? Yes. Yeah. So that makes sense. But her, like she seemed really kind of like particularly around Buffy, like she had no idea what Buffy was, even though I'm fairly certain that Darla definitely knows what a slayer is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Although like there's no way like I don't think they've ever established in the show that uh vampires can generally sense a slayer. No, but she was like, there was a girl, and she knew how to fight us. And I was like, well, yeah, and you're not dumb, so maybe just mm, right. By maybe that point, just logic sh- this out. By that point, <laughs> she should have known it was a slayer. Just our, just, I mean, there's only one slayer anywhere in the world, so odds are against it being a slayer. True, but I feel like Buffy made a big scene in L.A., yeah. so the vampire community probably should have known like, that Buffy was in the California all right. Yeah. Fair yeah. I wanted to talk. Actually, I've got all kinds of things. I, I have. I have. Like, I have tons of notes. But uh, one of the things that I remember reading from Joss Whedon is his entire inspiration for Buffy was turning the uh, trope of the helpless little blonde attacked by a scary man in an alleyway on its head. And he actually did that twice. Once was with the introduction mm-hmm. with Darla and some dude whose name I might supposed to be remembering. I don't remember. I don't think they ever said his name. He was generic victim number one. That's actually, as I wrote him down there. So they snuck into the high school and the whole time he's acting very predatory and she is acting like helpless little blonde chick until he has reassured her adequately that there's nobody around. And then she turns around and kills him. And then later on, when Buffy was walking towards the bronze the first time, she's alone in an alley, there's footsteps behind her, and it's her first meeting with Angel. And once again, just turning that idea of the helpless little girl on its head. And uh, that that was something I think that that theme continued throughout Buffy. Mm -hmm. So, yay Joss Whedon. Yeah, I've got more, but I'll let somebody else talk. Well, There's that moment. Oh, I was just gonna say, well, something I noticed, and it was toward the very end of uh, part two, was we hadn't had a female hero like Buffy on TV since Wonder Woman. That was in the freaking seventies, man. Like you had not seen a woman like that on TV, or am I? Did Dina come before or after? Uh, but Buffy. I, I, but I think Zena was pretty uh, like around the time of Buffy. But I'm gonna say something in Buffy's defense here. Zena is very different from Buffy. Mm, I yeah. never ever connected with Zena. Yeah. See, I think that's, and I think because it was since it was a syndicated show. I mean, UPN granted wasn't one of the big three at the networks at the time, and it, of course it still isn't. But that I'm talking about cultural impact. Yeah, people know Zena. 
But going Luna from was, felt like Xena was just this much exploitive. Just this she much. danced a little on bit, yeah. She danced on that that line, but yeah. where I mean, you have Buffy, who is a competent woman. She makes real decisions. Some are good, some are bad, and I mean, you can kind of, you know, you hadn't really seen something like that where. There's also the fact that Buffy, it, like, like Xander says, she's a superhero. And the fact is, Buffy is a superhero, and Xena is not a That's superhero. That's true. Yeah. And take that for how, how you want. Xena is a competent woman in her world. She's a warrior. She does lots of really great stuff. I assume I've never seen the show. <laughs> we'll, we'll go with that. I like that. <laughs> we'll, we'll but get... the fact is, Wonder Woman and Buffy are both superheroes. I think the only, like, I would, like... I will say Xena and Buffy and Wonder Woman probably on the same level. I would even throw Princess Leia in there, but Princess Leia wasn't on TV. Yeah, I'm going to just strictly like on TV, on your TV, I mean, every week. Yeah. You know, you're like, oh, well, let's see what happens this week. You know, where Leia, yeah, Leia's there, but she's not, not on TV. Not on TV. That was yeah. my only why I kind of kept it. Yeah. Well, and also I think that Buffy is relatable in a way that Xena never could be because Buffy takes place in a now. Yeah. And Xena takes place in a never happened. Yeah. yeah. And so, so Xena does predate Buffy by two years. Um, and I can totally see a project, a, a progression where like you, you eventually get to Buffy, which is like a gold standard. Yeah. Uh, and Xena was not a gold standard, but you could totally see like the progression from like, let's not have, let's have women be all the, all the, uh, people who we save to like women being like superheroes. Uh, can I go off on a, on a slight, this is, is kind of jumping subjects, but there's the line that Cordelia says where she's, uh, James Spader needs to call me. <laughs> yeah. and, okay, so first off, I am totally down with that. I love James Spader, but I was trying to think, what was he doing at this time? Was it like, because all I really Stargate. remember, Stargate, where he's a nerd. But he was adorable. He was I a really he was hot adorable, nerd. But he was like on level with Xander. Yeah. And like that line just really confused me because I was like, he's not a heartthrob. Shouldn't we be talking about like she watched Listen Zero no. quite a bit. Secretary was out also. Oh no. No. No, it wasn't? No. I was gonna say I thought Secretary definitely was not out in the I thought that was kinda like early two oh, thousands. Okay. Yeah. Maybe oh, she okay. didn't watch Lesson Zero a lot because he was really cute in Lesson Zero. Was he Zero. okay? Yeah. That that's and all he I'll go with Lesson Zero. That's fine. I'm, I think it's Lesson Zero. Ah, that's got Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, playing a dragon. <laughs> well, I can't remember if one of ah, it's been years since I've seen Lesson Zero. Sorry, gang. Um, one of them is a bad influence, and the other one like goes further. Or maybe they're both corrupting Andrew McCarthy. I can't remember. <laughs> We're totally going off on a tangent here. I am so sorry. Okay, so James Spader was in. True Color, Storyville, Bob Roberts, The Music of Chance, Dream Lover, Wolf, and Stargate before Buffy came out. So Buffy would have had those movies too. Right. Okay, so then that, okay. Do you have uh, anything you really want to talk I, about, Kenzie? My thing was the Wonder Woman. That was the big one that I okay. wanted to, to talk about, and uh, I'm going to skedaddle. All right, so. yeah, we got to lose Kenzie, unfortunately, due to timing scheduling it happens i'm so sorry it happens it's all right but i will uh, be back for episode two gang so i want to talk about eric balfour because i actually totally forgot that he was in this and i kind of love him like it's it's funny because he's not one of those actors that i seek out but every time i find out that he's in something i'm like excited that uh -huh. he's there um and i wanted to sort of talk about him and xander a little bit okay because i think that they're both really interesting and i wonder 
how much of it is looking back on the show and being like, oh, that's a little off-putting now. <laughs> or, and, and like, if I just wasn't aware of it back then. Like, basically, Xander's a nice guy, trademark. Um, and and he, he, Xander borders on creepy a lot. Yeah, he does. Um, and he's also kind of an asshole. Like, he's just skateboarding through everybody in the beginning. Yeah, for those people who don't know, nice guy, nice guy is uh, a word for a creepy guy who does not know how to say no, but really just wants to be your friend if you're a woman. Um, until you until fuck him. Until you fuck him, yeah. <laughs> um, I, uh, yeah, like, I, Xander, I feel like, has a lot, lot of points of, like, in showing this toxic masculinity thing. Oh, like, God, when he's yeah. absolutely unable to let Buffy go do this thing that she is perfectly capable of doing on her mm-hmm. own. And I In fact, he makes it harder for her. Yeah. By being going. there. And I wonder if that was something that Joss Whedon was doing on purpose. If, if, if he intended mm-hmm. this to be a, like, look, Xander's not being helpful right now. Or if he was just writing the character like you would write a male character back then. Because I don't remember thinking any of that was weird when I originally watched it. Yeah, me neither. When I saw Xander, I was like, oh my god, that is so creepy. But when I was in high school, I was like, no, I, I totally did. This guy like is doing the things that I would do. And yeah. I was really disappointed. I remember myself. legitimately liking Xander Yeah, when I was he younger. Was, he was adorable and yeah. likable. Uh, but, now, but now Xander, every... like. All the stuff that Xander does, I'm like, oh, sweetie, calm down. Looking, looking back on it from the lens of 20 years, you're like, oh, that's kind of actually not okay. Yeah, and Jesse, Eric Balfour's character, seemed a little bit less on the creepy side, mm-hmm. and so I found myself wondering what the show would have been like if Xander had died and Jesse had lived. One little bit of trivia um, that I that I just love is... I, it's my understanding that Joss Whedon actually wanted Eric Balfour in the credits because it was supposed to be a shock that he died. It was supposed to be, um, you know, like you were supposed to think he was safe because he was in the credits. Mm-hmm. But uh, they didn't have the budget to make two sets of credits, so they didn't. But interestingly enough... He is in the credits, though. That's why his name was there. Not, not as a primary. Oh, okay. He's not in there, you know, like... like Here's here's Nicholas Brendan. Here's he's he's not in there as a primary. After uh, after he created Angel, he he managed to pull that same stunt with Doyle, who was spoiler <laughs> killed uh, halfway through the first season of Angel. He had also done that on Buffy. I can't remember who, but he put somebody in the credits. Uh, Tara. Tara appeared in the credits. The episode she died. Yeah, that's right. That was the first time she appeared in the credits. By that point, they had the money. Yeah. Yeah. At that point, they could get away with that. Um, I, uh, you mentioned, Donna, um, that you weren't sure that they established uh, that Buffy was yeah. strong enough before mm-hmm. she attacked Luke. I did. That was something that uh, Jack and I started to argue about, and Adrian was like, save it for the podcast. So uh, near the end of the first part of the two-part episode, Buffy encounters Luke, who becomes the master's vessel for the first time, and he kicks her ass. He throws her all over and would have succeeded in biting her and presumably killing her if not for the silver cross that Angel had given her earlier in that episode. My question was, up until that point, we had not seen Buffy really thoroughly kick anybody's ass. Uh, She had fought a couple vampires, Mm -hmm. right? We 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 had seen her slay 
But I don't feel like we had established enough that that was really unusual that she was getting thrown around like that. Uh, I have a little bit of trouble figuring, like, like I, I have some trouble separating it because I saw the movie when it was in the theater. Yeah, it's a great movie, Paul Rubens. Oh, yeah, it was, oh. It was, like, I, I loved it. And, like, it was my, it was the first PG-13 movie that I ever bought my own ticket for uh-huh. when I was 13. And I remember being so worried that they weren't going to let me in. <laughs> but, so I saw the movie, and I was... When I first started watching Buffy, like, I knew what she was already. Mm -hmm. And so I was shocked that he was able to defeat her like that. Yeah. The one thing that I did notice that they did was in episode one, there was a moment when Buffy is going to go through a door, and I forget why she's trying to go through the door. I think she was trying to get to the dead body of the kid from the very beginning. And she can't open it at first, so she looks around, and then she pulls open the door and tears off the wood, like, with mm-hmm. just a simple flick of her wrist. Right. So that was the first moment they show her strength. They never have her kick anybody's ass. Uh, they do have her stab that one guy, but that was a really easy kill. Those were uh, two situations where her, one, her strength was shown, and two, her skill was shown before she got her ass handed to her. Right. I don't know if the stabbing somebody is really a good measure, though, because then Xander accidentally stabs Jesse Vance. The, the situation <laughs> was very different because the stabbing was, I'm twirling this thing and then putting it between my, my arm and my torso to stab this guy in the heart as he approaches me, versus like, I've got a safe hold up held out in front of you and somebody pushed you towards it. I'm just yeah. saying that, that, that Xander accidentally stabbing Jesse made it appear to be pretty easy to stab. Mm-hmm. That to, is... to stab zombies. Vampires. <laughs> Wrong genre. Well, Wrong I don't know, genre. because there was that scene when they're in the sewers and the zombies oh, God. And the zombies, god damn it, the vampires are all moving very slowly. It's very, very zombie like a couple of times actually. Yeah. In the graveyard it was all very zombie like too. There were moments where I felt like they didn't know if they wanted to be vampires or zombies. Uh, there are a few moments like that. I, I know Buffy takes a while to figure out 100% what her powers are, like, because they can't decide. It's like, I'm strong enough to pull open a wooden door and completely tear through the wood. But this, this, gra- this metal grate, pulling it out of its screws is really, really difficult. Or like, or, or like... Uh, I'm trying to I'm trying to hold on to this person, but oh my god, it's so difficult. No, you just broke open a door and you're <laughs> fine. I like how all the watchers are kind of awkward in yeah. the same way. Like I hadn't I hadn't realized probably because the first season is not one of the ones that I tend to go back to yeah. very often. But Giles seems very similar to Wesley mm-hmm. in this first season, the way that he sort of. Like his stutters and his mannerisms are all very similar to Wesley's, and I think that's really neat because it sort of shows. Yeah, they all were schooled in the same place. They right. come from a similar background. It do, it does make sense that they would all be slightly. I mean, that none of them are worldly. Yeah, and then let's see. Let's talk about Cordelia. Cordelia looked so good. Didn't she? Her outfits. Like, one of the things I love about Cordelia is that she's the popular girl, but she's also kind of gothy and vampy. Mm-hmm. And, like, I don't know, I just, that just makes me super happy. There's, there's, of course, we're talking a few years in the future, but there's, there's one episode after she's started openly dating Xander, and she's kind of being rejected by the cool girls, and all of a sudden she has this incredibly strong moment where she's just like, no, I'm Cordelia! Yeah. You know, and she just, she refuses to be shamed. 
and kind of comes back into her own. And uh, it's a very strong moment that happens several seasons from now, so I'll stop talking about it. Well, no, I think that, like, you can still see that in Cordelia's personality now. Like, she does not give a fuck what other... Like, like, she does give a fuck what other people think of her, but she also seems so certain of who she is that she just knows other people think I'm amazing. Yeah. (laughs) I'm with you. (laughs) Everyone was looking at me, and I was like... You sounded like you were about to say something profound. You, you, you inhaled to speak, so we were going to let you. Oh, uh, sorry. No, I was, I was, uh, I, I think Cordelia looks attractive, and, uh, and she, <laughs> uh, she, uh, the, the one thing that I did notice is, like, of everybody, with the exception of Darla, she also, like, she, she looks the most, like, my age mm-hmm. of everybody, and I was, and she was, she was the oldest cast member, mm-hmm. um, but she's still just amazing. Like, I love Prisma Carpenter so much. Yep, she is fantastic. Let's talk about a master. Oh He's my such god. Such a diva. Such a diva. <laughs> so, can I talk about that scene break? Yes. yes so, in episode two, uh, in, when they, when Darla's like, you know, there was a girl and she can't figure out that it was a slayer, even, even though it's a girl that kicked the, the asses of a whole bunch of vampires. The master turns around, raises his hand in the air, and folds it into a fist as he slowly says, A slayer. And then we scene break. Uh, uh, other other scene, people. Yeah, mm-hmm. the main characters talk for a while. We come back to the master, and he's saying, A slayer. From, his, <laughs> from like 10 feet away from where he was standing yeah. the so, first time. So the way the scene worked out in my head is he folds his hand into a fist, says, A slayer walks away from the people he's talking to, turns around, folds his hand into a fist again, and says, A Slayer. And then he starts <laughs> he starts talking. <laughs> and so I was just, in my head, that's just such a weird moment, but it's so, like, diva. And all, and these, so all these vampires who have to be, like, respectful of him are just kind of standing around going, Story-wise, it makes what perfect. What the hell, dude? <laughs> story-wise, it makes perfect sense. If I were one of those vampires, I'd be like, you know, he's acting weird, but I'm just gonna let him do his thing because he just stuck his finger in another guy's yeah. eye. Like I'm good. I started watching Buffy after both shows were off the air. I basically binge watched uh, Buffy and Angel over the course of a few months. That has nothing to do with the story I'm about to tell you. When uh, when I first watched this show, almost as soon as the master came on screen, I was like, I know that dude. I mean, if you if you don't recall, of course, he's wearing some pretty extensive makeup, uh, fangs, his face is all distorted. And I finally went and looked up, and it's Mark Metcalf who played Niedermeyer in Animal House. Now, Animal House is a 1978 movie, so any of you who are, you know, maybe not born in 1978, just stop what you're doing and go watch Animal House because it's a fantastic movie. And um, Do I have to stop, too? <laughs> oh, dude, I'm so disappointed. Uh, so just Niedermeyer. Niedermeyer. That, that's all I'm going to say. Uh, right. Can we talk about Willow? Yes, we can talk about Willow. Are we done talking about the master? Yeah. I want to talk about Willow. Um, I think it's interesting that Willow actually managed to be more useful than Xander did. Mm-hmm. Um, she, you know, this is where we find out that she's a hacker and she's so adorable. Mm-hmm. She's just so sweet. Uh, but she was wearing a bowling pin, like a bowling yeah. brooch on her little like plaid schoolgirl outfit. Yeah. And I was just really confused by that because I don't feel like Willow ever 
showed a big love of bowling. She did mention that her mother picked out her dress. I wonder if her mother picked out her jewelry, too. Maybe her mom's a bowler. Maybe her mom's a bowler. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I love Willow. Um, I thought that it was a little bit weird that she went after the the vampire. Like when Buffy, she, you know, Buffy tells her to seize the moment, and then she sees Willow with the vampire, and Buffy, and mm-hmm. Giles is like, "What's she doing?" And Buffy says, "She's seizing the moment." I, I felt like that guy was not Willow's type. I felt like the guy approached Buffy. I think Buffy. Willow, I think, Willow, sorry, Willow. I felt like the guy approached Willow. And Willow went with him because she would normally be like, no, I'm waiting for a friend. But today she was like, you know what? She's at season the moment. That's that's how I think it played out. Okay, I could see that. I could see that. Just based on Willow's Mm -hmm. other dating prospects, Oz and Tara do not share any qualities with that guy. Well, she also doesn't know her dating style, her dating profile very well. She's only dated Sandra at age five. That's true. That's true. (laughs) Like, she doesn't know herself yet. And I also just want to talk for a moment about... How badass both the writing of this show and Willow herself can be when Cordelia is trying to figure out how to send her program off and Willow turns around and says, deliver. Mm -hmm. Now, I think an awful lot of us would, we're all three sitting here now writers, I think all of us would be tempted to go ahead and take that next step and say, press the key that says D-E-L. But she didn't. Joss Whedon did not do that. Willow did not do that. She just turned around and left. And then you see Cordelia search for the key and see D.E.L. and press it. And I just, it's a great moment both of writing and character development. Yeah, yeah, I love it because then it's its totally Cordelia's fault. Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, <laughs> some moments that were a little bit hilarious was like, I was, uh, I loved when Willow was hacking. Because, like, especially in 90s movies, like, they didn't know what they were doing with computers most of the time. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was actually very impressive that they had a computer programming class in that school. Right. Um, but uh, one of the, although Jenny was not teaching it, which was a problem for me. There was no teacher. Yeah, there was no teacher. But so I we can't, I mean, we don't know that Jenny wasn't teaching it. Oh, that's true. That's true. Jenny could have been teaching it, and we just haven't met her yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, at one point, when Willow is hacking the library, she says that she decrypted the security com- this, uh, the security council, the city council's security system. Accidentally. Uh, she accidentally decrypted the security, <laughs> the council security system. And like the, like that, it sounded to me very much like I'm going to open this key with a key. Like it, it's like, it doesn't make any sense mm-hmm. computer wise. But yeah, that was uh, that was a funny moment with that. Uh, there was an also like just li- the little mistakes that I, I enjoyed noticing. I noticed that uh, Cordelia in that scene with the computer programming mentions, "Yeah, we're going to the Bronze tonight. There's no cover." But at the Bronze scene later, the bouncer is collecting money mm-hmm. and checking IDs. So I was thinking that's cover, or because Cordelia said there was no cover. The bouncer was accepting bribes from all the kids without ID. <laughs> let's let's go with that. He was accepting. He was he was making some cash there. He had a lot of money. He uh, never got to use it. I love Giles. I had forgotten how much character development, how much subtle character development there was on Giles in this mm-hmm. episode. Like you've got first off, he said something that I, I, I'm probably gonna mess up the quote, but it was something along the lines of. Despite popular mythology, the world did not begin in paradise. And I thought that that was a really interesting thing for him to say, since mm-hmm. the, I guess the most common air quote mythology 
about par- the world beginning in paradise is Christianity. And I was, at that moment, I was like, oh, well, that says something interesting about Giles, that that's the, the, the phrasing that he chose right there. Right. I also, like, he talks too close to people. Oh, my <laughs> God. He's, he has no personal boundaries. Like, like, he's so close at one point that... Allison Hannigan is leaning away from him. Just just to be able to turn her face yeah. towards him. And it's like that's not the only like he does that a lot where he where somebody is sitting down and he comes over and has like one arm sort of around them on the back of their chair, mm-hmm. the other arm on the table and is like trapping them in the chair, and he somehow doesn't make it weird. Like it should be weird yeah. and creepy and maybe a little bit scary. Especially but it's because not. he does it to Willow he does it to Willow and he does it to Buffy, but he never does it to Sandra. He hasn't done it to Xander in this episode yet, but maybe he doesn't like Xander enough. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> he never has much respect for Xander, yeah, that's honestly. true. I also like his his sort of subtly hidden glee at the very end of the harvest about monsters. Like he see like he's he seems like a kid who's trying to contain how excited they are while explaining to the group, to the Scoobies, we could be fighting more than just vampires, guys. <laughs> Yeah, he was he was very excited about it. I think he was also just really excited that he had his slayer slaying. Yeah. I think there was a certain amount of that. What else do we have? Anything? Um, oh, at the end of this episode, Willow says, like, Willow says, oh, I guess I could always try to get kicked out of school or something. And then Willow says, maybe you could blow something up. I hear that's bad. I hear that makes people unhappy or something. And then uh, the first time she's kicked out of school, it's because she burns the gym in the movie. The second time she gets quote-unquote, kicked out of school, is when she graduates and blows up the school. <laughs> so Willow is foreshadowing the end of season three. Speaking speaking of, of all that, do we want to talk about Principal Flutie at all? I love him. I think he's such a good principal. He tries super hard. As much as I love Armin Shimmerman, who will come in later on to be the principal. Yeah. Hated him. I think Well, I hate the character. I love the actor. Yeah, I love the actor. I thought you. I, I I liked when he was first introduced, and he was like, "Your permanent record means nothing here. It's <laughs> a new ripping. start here." Wait, what? <laughs> you, and then he's taping it back together. Also, did he learn? Like, has he ever taped anything since kindergarten? <laughs> it was pretty badly taped. His taping job is atrocious. It was really, really bad. He's um, a principal, not a taper. <laughs> I want to talk about Jesse again for a little bit because, just like like props to Jesse, who has suffered massive blood loss discovered that vampires are real, is is still injured, and still fighting off the vampires and resisting them as they lead him into the sewers. Like, legitimately giving them trouble. Yeah. And, uh, and it just makes, I don't know, it made me sad because we are led to believe that Jesse was friends with Xander and Willow yeah, before since that. Yeah, since childhood. And, and I feel like nobody ever really notices right. or reacts too much to the fact that he's gone. Like, Xander punches or kicks the counter or whatever it is, but that feels more like he's upset that vampires are a thing. Yeah. yeah. And then, like, whenever Willow finds out that Jesse's dead, everybody just kind of moves on with the conversation. Yeah. And, no, like, and it's probably just because it's a first episode thing, but it made me sad because nobody else's death is ever treated like that. Right. Now, I can't remember, does the camera quality get better? It oh, does. Oh, God. It's yeah, it does. No, I mean, I mean, in the first episode. I mean, I know it gets better, but... I mean, like, not in the first episode, in the first season. I don't think so. No, I think the, the first season's The first season's first off pretty short. Yeah. And, or, yeah. And um, I don't think it does get better. I mean, mm-hmm. I know it, it gets better later. Okay. But 
I, I did not remember how bad it no, was. No, I didn't either. As we were sitting there watching it, I was like, what the hell? This looks like a soap opera. All 90s television looks like that. Like, all 90s mm-hmm. television is terrible. I tried to, back to Xena, I tried to watch Xena. Xena does not look that bad. Really? Xena looked really bad. The lighting, like, the, 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 the lighting is really bad. The, the contrast is off. The camera work is the camera funky. Work is sketchy. To be fair to Buffy, a lot of Buffy's scene and mood focuses on like dark and like shadowy nighttime, things like that. Yeah. Whereas Buffy was a lot of daytime outdoors, Sandstorm. sunlight. So, Zena. sorry, Xena. Did I say Xander? You said Buffy. Oh, Always. Buffy. Okay, so. So Xena had better lighting because they had better choices. For well, no, like even in the daytime shots, the like something was off, like mm-hmm. contrast or something was off. It just looked really bad. Um, and the camera work for them, like, like the camera work and the blocking seemed sloppy to me mm-hmm. a lot. Like all of the too close talking, and then there was a scene where Willow is sitting down after the whole Jesse is dead and stuff. Uh, not dead, but like vamped. Willow's sitting down and Buffy's standing up and they're talking and it's like the camera wants to keep them both in the shot but so like it's like Willow's forehead and up to show Buffy and then Willow says something and the camera like pans down to show Buffy from the nose yeah, down. That's a really odd. It's like the you wanted the cameraman to take a step back. Yeah, like if you just step back, mm-hmm. or, you know, make Buffy sit or stand closer to yeah. Willow or like literally do do one of a million things and this shot would be better. All right, well, we are about out of time. Um, oh, my God. I want to say a couple things about the school. The teachers all teach to the bell. Like, yeah. Like, the bell seems to shock the teacher. Also, you have to get your own books. Yeah, that is odd. The, I, I'm just going, oh, Harmony. I want to mention Harmony. Harmony. So, I remember reading something about how Harmony is the only character in Buffy to show up in the first episode She's the only character to be in the first episode of Buffy and the last episode of Angel. Mm. And I thought that was interesting, but then I was like, oh, she's not actually technically in the first episode. Because technically the first episode is Welcome to the Hellmouth. The second episode is The Harvest, and that's where we we see Harmony. But I guess it counts because it was aired as a double. Yeah, yeah. And incidentally, according to my little uh, episode guide here, some of the uh, internal scenes were shot in Torrance High, uh, which is the same school that was used in Beverly Hills 90210. I knew that. I also wanted to talk about Luke for a second. Okay. I think that Luke was really pretty great. He's like this huge macho dude who also seems, in contrast to Xander, totally comfortable with himself. Yeah. He was very subservient to the master and totally like okay with kissing the master's hand, which I feel like is a weird thing for a dude to be doing. Yeah, that was at just that, time. that was just what you do. You just you just kiss the master's hand, and you're totally subservient to him, and and that's just how it works. And at the same time, he's walking around with these broad shoulders and muscular arms. Yeah, and... like like I, I thought that was really interesting, just to see Luke being so sort of like comfortable with himself right. versus Xander and Jesse to an extent being so not. One of the things I love about this show so much is their respect for their own lore. Yeah. Like, uh, even in the first, although it's, although you can look back and be like, okay, they didn't know that Darla was there. Like, they didn't know that Darla was going to be there, or they didn't know this or that. Like, they do such good work at, like, going back to those early episodes and being like, what have we done, and what can we bring back? Because you did have 
that foreshadowing of Willow saying blow up the yeah. school. The uh, they had um, what was it? Well, one thing I'll mention while you're thinking about it is it is pretty well established a little later on in the show that Angel had, well, actually, I guess it was established in Angel, that he had gone back, he had gone to L.A. to see Buffy yeah. when she was the Slayer in L.A. And in this episode, he says something about, you're smaller than I thought you would be. You know, he, he, he talks as if he's never seen her before. Yeah, that's so, true. I mean, it's it's a stupid thing to be bothered by because it could also just be something he's saying yeah. to like. Well, with respect to their own lore, like I know that um, whenever they mention stuff that Darla, whenever Darla comes back, um, they bring up stuff like that, and they they play on a lot of the the things that they bring up in this episode. They play up with them later, and I just love that. Like I love that. Uh, even though they didn't know they were going to do that, they mm-hmm. um, they respected that first episode enough to go back to it and see, uh-huh. and, and let's construct a story around which this works. You know, there had to be somewhere in an office a gigantic timeline going, okay, Spike was here <laughs> at this time, and Darla was here at this time, and yeah. Angel was there. As a person who makes series, that is something that you don't start with, but you wind up getting. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, like uh, we we've been working on this series, uh, Adrian and I, for a very long time, and we it, it was several years in before we decided, you know, this is an interesting fact. Let's see who has had sex with whom in this. <laughs> and we had to like tie up, like tie everyone in like a sex line, like in the L word, and, and it was it was a pretty wide web. <laughs> I really like. I thought it was a really cool character moment for Cordelia when they're in the computer room. And she's having the private conversation with Harmony mm-hmm. and the long-haired pretty surfer boy like yeah. jumps into the conversation. Like, he's so enthusiastic and I'm really sad that he doesn't come yeah. back. He's like, who is this? Where did you come from? And and he just he just pops up. And then Willow says like one thing, and Cordelia's like, excuse me, I don't move in on private discussions, even though this other dude just did exactly that. Yeah. And she's totally okay with it. They have another great moment of hypocrisy when uh, that girl says, what kind of name is Buffy? And then somebody passes that girl and says, hey, Aphrodisia. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and there's a character named Aura, and there's a character, well, Aura wasn't. Aphrodisia was Aura's friend. Yeah, and uh, not to mention... Cordelia. Cordelia and Willow and... There's a lot of interesting names. Yeah. Xander. Xander. Well, Xander's short for Alexander. Yes. I also, like... The one problem that I sort of have with this is they're establishing Sunnydale as the Hellmouth uh-huh. and saying that it always has been. Uh-huh. But Xander and Willow seem really surprised by strange things. Mm-hmm. And um, I wonder what life was like before Buffy got there. You would expect that it would be sort of Santa Carla from like the Lost Boys where people just go missing all the time or something. They, they have established kind of throughout the series, that there's some sort of weird brain fog. The Sunnydale effect? The Sunnydale effect, because there at the end, Cordelia is talking about what happened, but she's not particularly talking about, I almost got killed by a vampire. True, but you would still think that people, there would still be Mm -hmm. a number of strange stories. You would still Mm -hmm. have a lot of people being like, oh yeah, my best friend went missing when we were 12 and we never found them. But then at one time I thought I saw them again, and they were beckoning to me from the end of the road or something, you know? But you don't want you don't seem to have any of that. And so I just wonder what was happening before Buffy got there. Because it seems like all the action starts mm-hmm. when she gets there, even though Giles says this place has always been like 
this. And I think it also has something to do with the master waking up. Maybe. I think I think that is supposed to be an inciting event, is that he wakes up and makes all this happen. Well, also the presence of the Slayer is like, what did you say? Instigating. Instigating event. Inciting event. Inciting event. Yeah, yeah. that's what I said. Yeah, that's what I said. Okay. Um, <laughs> do we have anything else? I just want to give a shout out to the communion wafers. Yes. <laughs> in her box of stuff that she does not take with her. And I actually, like, despite having grown up Catholic, I sat there for a while being like, why does she have a big jar of It seems like you can use some, like, little, like, little mini Frisbees. Right. <laughs> well, I think, I swear... And or I, I, disc guns. Now that I think about it, I'm not sure what episode it happens in, but I swear she tricks somebody into eating one. Yeah. Well, like, that's I why I mentioned them, it. because they're there, and I felt like maybe we mentioned weird stuff that's there, so that later on, when it comes up, we can say we mentioned it. Yeah. How about oh. the odor that would result from keeping garlic in your chest? Oh my god, yeah. I was thinking about that too. Well, and how long does the garlic stay there before it starts to grow new garlic, like garlic does when yeah. you live in a dark place? Uh, I like that they called it a one Starbucks town while we were all sitting there drinking Starbucks coffee. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, uh, I wanted to quote CJ real quick. CJ, my cousin, who was sort of watching it with us, mentioned about Xander that he's the character that rolled all average stats and it took him six seasons to level up. <laughs> to get a useful ability, yeah. <laughs> oh, the a thing that I wanted to mention was um, Buffy. I love that she is so kind. Like, I love the character of Buffy so mm -hmm. much because she like, looks at Cordelia and the way that she's treating Buffy, and she looks at Willow. Willow. Sorry. She looks at Cordelia and the way she's treating Willow and thinks, and, and, like, looks at her with this, like, care, and then she goes, seeks out Willow, yeah. and, and she says, like, amazing things come out of her mouth when she's talking to Willow. Yeah. Like, I'm just like, I love Buffy so much. Well, just the, the look of, she was such a good actress and mm -hmm. such a good character that just with this one kind of look at Cordelia, you can see her thinking, Oh, you're a bitch. <laughs> I made friends, and I don't know if I like them. Yeah, Cordelia's been really nice to me. And, <laughs> and uh, oh, and the other thing was, I thought they got the pop psychology of the 90s just right with Joyce. Mm -hmm. And Joyce talking about over-nurturing. No, I've been listening to the tapes, and they say I should be used to saying it. No. And like, <laughs> like just Joyce is such an amazing '90s mom. Yeah, like, well, I think jo like, Joyce is such a great mom in general. Like I would happily be adopted by Joyce. She tries so hard. Yeah, um, and and even even when I was younger and watched it for the first time, I was actually pretty sympathetic to Joyce when she when she tries to ground Buffy. Mm -hmm. I'm like, she doesn't know what's going on. And yeah. her daughter is just running off. Of course she's going to try to ground her. Yeah, I felt bad for Joyce. Like, at no point was I ever like, fuck you, Joyce. Like, Joyce has always been like, a, god damn, Joyce is grounding Buffy. Oh, no, how's Buffy going to get out of this? But I was never like, damn it, Joyce, you're interrupting the flow of things. <laughs> yeah, I was always more annoyed at Buffy for not just telling her. Yeah, mom. yeah. Like, that was always my big problem with Buffy is like, your mom is amazing. Just tell her. Yeah, and I can understand that, like, I can understand the fear of, like, telling your mom something that's very private, but at the same time, like, Joyce is very different from the moms I'm accustomed to. Yeah, Joyce actually reminds me in a lot of ways of my mom, and I think that's why I was always so annoyed at Buffy, because I was like, she'll be fine, she'll get it. Just tell her. Just tell her. Because your mom would believe you if you were the yeah, Slayer. Yeah, if I was like, Mom, I'm a Slayer, my mom would be like, alright, what awesome. do we need to do? Okay, um, 
Anything else? Um, I think that I thought of something while you guys were talking, but then I forgot it. Point forward. I'm definitely going to keep better notes as I watch the show because <laughs> a lot of stuff happens in this show and it's just very dense. I was I didn't remember how dense it yeah, was. There's a lot going on. Okay. I didn't notice how dense it was before. We are, with any luck at all, going to put this out on March 10th, which is the 20th anniversary of the premiere of Buffy. But after that, I think we're going to try for a Tuesday. Because Buffy was on Tuesdays. Dawn's in trouble. Must be Tuesday. Okay, uh, so we probably will not make the 14th, so most likely our next episode will be out on the 21st. So, uh, thank you all for listening, and we should probably come up with a sign-off, but we're not going to do that today. So, welcome to the first episode, or goodbye from the first episode of Once More With Feeling. Thanks goodbye. For- Say bye, y'all. Goodbye. Goodbye, thank you for listening. You guys can follow us on Twitter. We're at Once More W Buffy. We're soon going to have an Instagram account up and we'll have our Patreon, so just hang tight. We'll see that announced on Twitter. Also, want to give a huge thank you to Billy Whaler for creating our logo. He took our input and just rocked it. Thank you so much. Bye.